Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and peace of our Lord be with all of us gathered here. I'm going to invite you, please, to join with me in turning to Leviticus chapter 23. In just a few moments, we're going to be uh, diving deeply into Uh, the next installment in our series, which is coming uh, swiftly to its its conclusion on Easter Sunday next week. Between now and next Sunday, uh, we will celebrate Holy Week, and at each of the Holy Week opportunities, there will be a curious visit from Leviticus at each of these special uh, moments, and I want you to see how we're going to do that. But we're going to culminate the study next Sunday on Easter Sunday with Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. So I hope you'll go home and read that. But for today, we're going to be in chapter 23, and we're going to begin in verse 1 in just a moment. But before we do, let's just take a moment uh, to offer a prayer as we uh, gather in all of our minds and hearts and the scattered uh, places where the soul may be today as we unify ourselves before the Word of God. Uh, Lord, we stop for just a moment and we confess to you that we have come here from a great many places. There are those who have come in this place ready to lift their hosannas high because you, you have lifted them out of some miry clay and in celebration we are ready to, to sing and dance. And, and yet there are others, Lord, who's the feet of of whose soul may still feel stuck in the mud, may still be stuck in some place longing for renewal, longing for uh, some new word that can change the story for them. And there are those of us in between, uh, those for whom this is one more Sunday and those for whom this is the Sunday And as we gather from all these distinct experiences, Lord, coming with a little bit of hurt and a little bit of hope, uh, coming with a great sense of expectancy and coming with a sense of cynicism that perhaps nothing new can be said again, we lift it all before you. And we pray that your spirit would do in us and among us what only your spirit could do. Lord, even now as we hush and we listen to the rain, We pray that you would fall fresh upon us. Renew us in places where the soul is weary. And we will give you the glory for it this day. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. So years ago, when I went to my very first church in Tennessee as a senior pastor, I was there for about a week, and uh, something happened that I'll, I'll never forget. See, they had computers, 
but they hadn't had them very long. And two of the best workers on the planet. We had two administrative assistants, um, Melanie and Irene. Irene was an 83-year-old uh, woman who worked in our church office and was the hardest working somebody I've ever met. Irene was the kind of worker who she took the worship bulletins home every Friday to fold them by hand because she thought that the folding machine, this new fangled gadget that folded the papers for it, didn't do a good enough job. So she took them home and folded them by hand. That's how good Irene was. I love Irene. One day I came in uh, to the church office. It was about the first week of my time there. And Irene was sitting at one of the computers, the new, uh, not so new, but not too old computers sitting there. And, and she had a ruler, a 12-inch ruler, holding it up to the computer screen. And she was messing with the, the keyboard. And I said, Irene, what are you doing? And she said, I'm a-setting my margins. <laughs> I'm a-setting my margins. Is that not the most beautiful thing you've ever heard? So I came up to Irene and I said, right, let me show you something, watch. And I, there was a command, you know, and you, you held it and it centered the thing before you. And I, I centered it and, she, and this, these were her words. She said, well, I declare. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I'm setting my margins. And this morning I'm thinking about Irene Webb. Because I want to talk to you for just a moment about the power of setting margins. Does your life have margin around it? Does your life have any space around its edges? Because you know, if, if, you, if you write your story from the edge of the page all the way over to the other edge of the page... There is no margin around it. If you move your life from one commitment to the next, one event to the next, one calendar uh, opportunity to the next, one game, one meeting, one obligation, one trip to the next, and there is no room in between, there is no margin. And if there is no margin, there's no room to, uh, to stop, to reflect, to rest, uh, to renew, to imagine, uh, to, to play, to daydream, to hope, to think, to feel, to relate. There's no room if there is no margin. And in other words, margin is where you and I get to practice being human. Recently, I heard it said this way. You and I are becoming the most informed and least reflective people in the history of the world. Will you let that sit with you for just a moment? Will you, let, will you reflect on that for just a moment? We can know anything that we want to know. We can. 
We are the most informed people in the history of the world. But simultaneously, we are the least reflective because we have built in no time to make margin around all that we can do and all that we can know. And when you don't have margin, you forget how to be human. You know another place where, where I think we might be able to learn from this is in music. You need margin. You need space to reflect, to think, to daydream, to just renew. You know another place is in music. All of us love music. Now, we love different kinds of music. We don't all love the same kind of music. My playlist won't look like your playlist. But we love music not because of the notes that are on the page. We love music because of the notes that are not on the page. We love music because of the, the rests, the stops, the spaces that are in between the notes. There was a composer at the end of the 1900s, beginning of the, of the uh, end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, Claude Debussy. And, and you know what he said? This is what he said about music. Music is the space between the notes. Music is the space between the notes. If there is no space between the notes, the notes can just be this, this kind of collision of sound that tumbles on to each other and abuses the ear, but with space, with rest, there's time to reflect on what we are hearing. Or, or as the jazz great Miles Davis put it, listen to what he said, the space you leave is as important as the sound you make. It's not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. My father agrees with that. My father, as many of you know, is a drummer. He's been a jazz drummer his whole life. He's played it all, played it all. And he says, and lately I watch him, and you know, he changed. He used to play rock and roll. And then he used to play oldies. And then he joined the big band down at the American Legion. And then it's Glenn Miller stuff. And he began to change. And I noticed he began to kind of uh, be sub more subdued in the way he played. And I, lately I said, Dad, I, you're not playing the way I remember you playing. I grew up with band practice. And he was all over the place. And lately he says, no, no. I've learned over my life that a good drummer knows not just what to play, but what not to play. Isn't that true? Isn't that good? The truth is, that's what our lives need as well. I got on the phone yesterday and talked to, to Glenn Sloan. I said, Glenn, I, I need somebody to, to give me an example of what I'm trying to preach tomorrow. Can you, can you recommend a piece of music where it's, it's moving, it's powerful, it's got all kinds of action in it, but it's really in the pause that sells the whole song? And he said, yeah, I can it's, it's, uh, it's Samuel, um, oh, hang on, Barger, yeah, Bar Barber, Samuel Barber, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, the, uh, the, what's the name of this thing here? <laughs> Adagio for Strings, yeah, so I don't want to pretend like it's got on my playlist, you know, but Adagio for Strings uh, with, with uh, Mr. Barber, Samuel Barber, yeah, yeah. I want you to listen for just a moment. 
This music you'll recognize because it's in many of the movies that you've seen. It's in a lot of action movies, war movies like Platoon. It's very dramatic. It's emotional. It evokes and emotes something out of you as you listen. It builds and builds and builds until this one moment when it stops building. I just want you to take, take, take a moment. It takes two minutes and pay attention to this, this passage. Right? <laughs> Is that not beautiful? But what makes it beautiful is not just the activity. There are all kinds of notes all over that, that hall. That was the Berlin uh, Philharmonic. There was all kinds of action. But it was when the conductor um, called them to rest. And he even literally froze. He didn't move. As if to say, freeze. Don't breathe. Don't Move a muscle. Take a moment to absorb everything that we've just heard and felt in order to interpret it, and then it begins to resolve. And that is what you need and I need in our spiritual lives. We cannot simply run from one commitment and task and obligation and responsibility to the next without stopping to create a little margin, to take a little rest long enough to reflect on the meaning of all of it. And Leviticus, in chapter 23, is attempting to speak to our ancient sisters and brothers a timeless truth, and that is you've got to make margin. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 23. 
The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now you've heard all kinds of commands about Sabbath thus far, all through the Torah. It's, it's weaved all throughout the sacred text, especially when the Israelites land at Sinai and it's chapter 20 of Exodus and God issues the Ten Commandments to Moses and right there in the middle of the Ten Commandments, almost like a linchpin holding all of it together, is this command and it reads this way. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then if you were to move later into Exodus chapter 31, the same thing is said, but with a different nuance. And I love it. Chapter 31 reads this way. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. We're talking about God here. Rested and was refreshed. That's the phrase I want you to hang on to rested and was refreshed. Do you know that the core to the word refresh there, the root word is from nefesh, which means soul. In other words, God rested and was resold, literally in the Hebrew. God was resold. For six days, God created magnificent works, but on the seventh ceased in order to turn and engage into a relationship with all that God had made, and it resold him. So you and I are created in the image of God. That means that we need at least what the text said that God needed, which was to be resold. Your soul needs margin. Your soul needs margin. And right here at the beginning of chapter 23, God is very clear to the Israelites, this is what you're going to do every seventh day. Once a week, you will rest and cease all labors. Now, why would it be important for them, this particular bunch of ex-slaves, to hear that command to keep Sabbath? Was it just out of obligation, just out of duty, out of law? No. But because in Egypt... Their entire worth was defined by what they could do. In Egypt, their value, their worth, their sense of dignity was only defined by how many bricks they could make for Pharaoh. They worked for an unjust system. They worked for an empire that only cared or only attributed value to a human being if they could produce and, can, and could keep the empire going. But this God is saying, not with me. This God is trying to reorder their world and the world of their expectations by demonstrating your value 
is not defined in what you make. It's not defined in what you can give or produce. Your value is defined by the reality that I have made you in my own image and I have called you my own and I love you. And there's nothing you can do about that. And if you, you and I think that this, this call to keep Sabbath is an ancient, primitive call uh, to an ancient and primitive people, I just want to ask you this question. Do you know anybody who's exhausted? Have you met anybody tired? I know it, not you, but maybe a friend. Because I guarantee you that there is somebody on this campus today or watching at home for whom you are exhausted attempting to demonstrate that you are worth being loved. And there's somebody on campus today trying to prove something, give something, do something, earn something to demonstrate your sense of value or existence. And, and God is saying, you can take a rest from those labors. In fact, I think there may be about nine kinds of ways that we try to prove our worth and work like we're in Egypt. Some of us try to improve things and perfect things all day long, and if we can't do it, we don't know what to do. Some of us try to help people and give and serve and rescue people, and if we don't know how to do that, we don't, we don't know if we're lovable. There are some who try to achieve and win and succeed, and if they can get a blue ribbon on their chest, then that's the only way to define their sense of value or worth or dignity, and others perhaps by trying to be unique or different, not like everybody else. Some rely on their smarts, and if I can have this body of knowledge, then maybe I will be worth something. And others try to prove their value by being loyal, and others by being the entertainer, and others by being the resistor, those who stand up for oppression or against oppression, and others who can fix things. We're made up of all kinds of wires, you and me. And we work and work and work to prove somehow that we are worth being here. And God steps in with Sabbath to say, you can rest from your labors. Because just like the ancients in Egypt, you and I need to be reminded that we are created to be human beings and not human doings. For six days we work, and we've got to work. We have to work. We, we need to, to eat. We need to pay bills. But there is a time to create enough margin to make sure that we're reflecting on why it is we're doing any of it. That is called Sabbath. So God makes a calendar. <clears throat> and in chapter 23, God continues with verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. And then God goes on in the rest of chapter 23 to describe six festivals that happen every year. Don't miss the fact that as chapter 23 begins, it addresses Sabbath, that's one, and then six more festivals, that's seven. And every time we see seven, it's a call back to Genesis 1 and 2 to be recreated. So these rest festivals are an attempt to recreate us. So they introduce six festivals. The first three are in the spring. The last three are in the fall. It begins in the spring on the new year, which is in March. 
somewhere around March, depending on the lunar cycle. And the first one is the Festival of Passover and Unleavened Bread. You know this one. It is to commemorate the night that God saved them from the death angel and it rescued them from Egypt. They combine that with the, the Festival of the Unleavened Bread, the Passover and Unleavened Bread, because in the night that they left Egypt, there was no time for the bread to rise. So this entire festival is an attempt to create enough margin to simply stop work and remember. To remember how did we get here in the first place. The second festival in the spring was the Festival of First Fruits. I love this one. It happens right after the Passover, and it's after the harvest. And you bring a double portion, a double sheave to the Lord of your produce. And the only reason is because harvest has come. And it's a confession that basically says, look, I recognize. I'm going to create a little space, a little margin here, long enough to acknowledge, yes, I worked my fingers to the bone during harvest. I planted, I cultivated, I, I, I reaped. But Lord, I recognize that were it not for your soil, were it not for your rain, were it not for your sun, I would have nothing to bring, so I bring you a double portion, the, the, the portion of first fruits, a time set aside just to acknowledge how blessed we are. The third festival that's set aside in the spring is the festival of weeks. It's 50 days after the Passover, what you and I would call Pentecost. And at that, that festival, the scripture is repeated. It's a, it's a festival of compassion. It's repeated, don't harvest your crop to the very edge of your fields, but leave some around the edges because there are always poor among you who need to eat. <laughs> a time on the calendar set aside to remember we've been given much and to whom much is given, much is required. Well, those are three that are in the spring, but then there are three in the fall. And the three in the fall are the festival of the trumpets. The, that's what kicks it off around late September, early October. And I love the festival of the trumpets. It begins with a blowing of a shofar. You know why? God commands them to blow the shofar, the, the ram's horn, in order to remind not only the people, but to remind God of their mutual fidelity with one another. A time set aside to simply reflect upon the mutual covenant that we have with God. Are you kidding me? And then another is Day of Atonement. We're going to talk about that next week. The day when the, the, entire, the entire purpose of the festival is forgiveness and renewal, repentance, the forgiveness of sin. And the final festival, the Festival of Booths, where even to this day, some Jews will set up tents and live in them temporarily during the festival simply to remember a time when God delivered them in the wilderness and they had no place permanent to live. Now, you back away from all this and chapter 23 says, look, Sabbath, make margin, but not just every week, throughout the year, set aside space in order to do one specific thing. Stop working. And in your stopping, every one of those six festivals, you know what they had as their purpose? Everyone. To give thanks, to reflect, to remember, to hope, to laugh, to sing, to dance, to eat, to drink, to celebrate with one another the goodness of being alive. Are there spaces in your life that you have set aside to create margin for the expressed purpose of reflection? 
the express purpose of stopping work long enough to consider why it is that we do work. See, in God's mind, according to Leviticus 23, it's important to God how we think about time. Because how we treat time demonstrates what we value in this life. The way that you and I organize our time demonstrates what we worship in this life. We've talked before about there being a difference between chronos time and kairos time. They're just Greek words that mean um, two very different things. Chronos is where we get the word chronology, which means just ordinary time. It's like a minute on your watch. Chronos time is like a minute, an hour, a day, a week, a month, and so on. But kairos time is, is very different. Kairos time is a kind of time that sits on its own. It, it's kind of, it opens up a space in which, well, it's sacred time. It's holy time. It's a time in which you're in a moment that you recognize, I am aware of God's divine presence here. And it's beautiful. And I, I feel confident and I feel rested and I feel content. That's kairos time. Another way to put it is chronos is about minutes. Chronos is about minutes. Kairos is about moments. And according to Leviticus 23, you can put moments on your calendar that shape and define and inform all of the minutes that happen in between. So what will you do? What are you willing to do to make sure you're creating margin in your, in your life so that you might reflect and practice the art of being human? And I want to suggest two things. The first one is this. Learn the spiritual discipline of saying no. Somebody say amen. Take up the spiritual practice of saying no. No, we will not do the extra tournament this weekend. We've done three already this week. No, I will not take on the extra client, even though it means another bonus. I will not do this this week. And no, I will not serve on this board. And no, I will not attend that meeting. No, I won't. Now listen, I say it's a spiritual gift uh, because it's not easy. When it comes to saying no, if you don't know how to say no, if you don't learn how to say no to some things, there will be no space in your chronos for kairos to emerge. You've got to create space in your chronos for kairos, grace, to, moments to, to emerge. Now, I'm going to tell you, when it comes to saying no, you ready for a confession from your pastor? I am the chief of all sinners. I can't say no if my life depends on it. Ask those who are closest to me. They'll tell me. They'll tell you. I can't say no to anything. I can't say no to anything. Hey, you got a minute? Sure. Hey, would you be the speaker at the, yep. Would you mind saying a prayer at the, yeah, sure. Yeah. Hey, you got a minute? Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, and I wish you could just take a look at my calendar between now and the fall, 
and see if there could be shoehorned in any other time for a moment. I am the chief of sinners, so I'm just here to confess to you. Saying no is difficult, but I've, I've taken up a new practice. In the drawer of my desk in my office is a piece of paper. And I'm starting to write down everything that I've said no to in the last few weeks. And my goal is, a, is to attempt to say no to one worthy thing a day. Try it. It's not easy. Because unless we create space in our chronos, there will be no space for kairos. So Leviticus says, plan your kairos first. That's the second thing that I want to suggest to you. Not only learn the spiritual discipline of saying no, but calendar your kairos first. Calendar your kairos first. Make it a priority. And, and I, I mean every day, every week, every year. What will you do to plan your kairos first? Listen, I know it's hard, but when I say something like plan your kairos first, I'm just thinking about what our Lord said. Seek first the kingdom right, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If you put first the thing that is first, then everything else will cascade in its proper place from it. Calendar your kairos first every day, every week, every year. Every day. Every day. So in the morning, my tip to you is to make margin in the morning. You're like, I can't do it in the morning. I'm already getting up at like at 5 o'clock. I have no time, no space to do that. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. But when God made the first Sabbath, it wasn't easy either. God had six days of creation. And you know what God had to do on the seventh? God had to create a seventh day to rest. In other words, God had to work at resting. And if God had to work at resting, so will you and I, right? But I'm too busy, I'm too busy. Well, Martin Luther, think about what Martin Luther uh, said about it. He used to spend an hour in prayer every morning. He said, I used to spend an hour in the mornings. Then I got so busy, I realized I needed three. And the more busy we get, not the less we need, the more we need of Kairos time, right? Every day, but also every week. Worship at 11 o'clock here at Johns Creek is a Kairos moment. Right here is where you and I make margin together. Now, if we decided we're not meeting at 11 o'clock anymore on Sundays, we're meeting at like, you know, Thursday afternoon at 1.45, that's our gathering point. But whenever a church meets, that's their shared Kairos moment. And for you and me, it's 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I am calling on you to prioritize on your calendar the kairos moment, the margin-making moment of worship at John's Creek. Because as you come to worship, as I come to worship, you and I both know how this works. Some days it's exhilarating, and other days it feels like you're just chewing on a Kleenex all week long. You know, It can be either or, but it's the cumulative effect of being with one another. Because I can promise you one thing, if you come, Every Sunday that I stand and look you in the face, those beautiful faces, I will say to you something that will remind you that you are not 
made to be a human doing. You are made to be a human being in the image of God. And every Sunday that we gather, we will together create some space in which the margin is where you and I reflect and imagine and dream about what God wants from all of us. So calendar the kairos of Sunday morning as a priority with your family. But then every year, too, what do you do on vacation? What do you do on vacation? Well, our family likes to do active things. Man, we like to run, go. We like to work out. We like to do bikes, throw frisbee. We like to do those things on vacation. But is there any space in your vacation time to simply take a walk by yourself? Is there any room in your schedule? Can you make any room to take a half day of silence somewhere just between you and God? Because every day there needs to be some moment when it's just you and the one who made you. And this week, this week we don't have festivals like our Jewish brothers and sisters, but this week is as close as it gets. Tonight there will be a concert in this room. Because it will be a time to create margin and imagine what it means for Christ to be ushered in triumphantly into our hearts. On Wednesday night, we'll have an Easter egg uh, hunt where we invite our community and we get to create the space, a safe space of being a community to our neighbors. Thursday night, we get to do Maundy Thursday right here in this room in the sanctuary where we imagine and we break bread and Friday in the FLC as we think about the cross of Christ. Each of these opportunities is an opportunity to make margin, to reflect, to be made human, to keep Sabbath. It's Rabbi Abraham Heschel who said it this way. It's not we who keep Sabbath, see. It's Sabbath that keeps us. Let's pray together. God, we recognize that we are being kept by you despite our own um, wanderings. You, you, you gather us in like sheep and, and, and you're patient with us. And here, Lord, you have even given us uh, the most wonderful of gifts, the, the call to, to cease in our labors long enough to abide with you and to reflect uh, on what it means to be human with one another before you. And on this day, we pray that if someone who is weary has found their way to this place, they would find rest today. Even now, as we begin to commit our lives to you, we pray that your spirit would move in the, the minds and hearts of those who you're speaking to today, that we may take you up on your, your, your life-giving call to find rest in you. And we pray that in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.